Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, November the 3rd, 2022. It is currently 3.40 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where outside it has been, I mean, it has been so windy, absolutely crazy. A couple of times I walked out the front door and it's just stuff was blowing around everywhere. I think I saw a cow go by. I think I saw a car go flying around. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole. It has been crazy windy outside. We have, I think, a chance for maybe some thunderstorms coming in, maybe tonight or tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it's it's been crazy. I know you don't really care about the weather, but the reason I was thinking about the weather as we were going live on the air is I was thinking as windy and as crazy it's been as it has been outside here in Abilene, Texas. Well, sadly, it's about to get very windy and crazy right here for this podcast episode because we're going to be dealing with some very controversial subjects, all right? Some very difficult things, and it's going to create maybe a a lot of controversy, a lot of confusion, maybe a lot of disagreement, but I I ask that you will just, in a sense, don't, don't just stand in the wind and get thrown all around and get all frustrated and irritated and bothered by the wind. Just kind of step back and try to at least consider and listen to everything I have to say, because I'm going to try to look at this subject in the most blunt way possible, okay? So, so, so let me just get this out of the way. If you have small children, you don't want them listening to this. If you are easily offended, you may not want to listen to this. If you are maybe disturbed about certain subjects or certain subjects could be offensive, especially uh, dealing with, um, let, can we say, domestic abuse, uh, abuse in marriage, rape. Uh, I mean, we're going to be dealing with some very, very serious subjects. We're going to be dealing with some very serious subjects. And it's, 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 it's not going to be a pleasant experience. I can tell you that. It's not going to be pleasant. But this entire series that we've been working on really hasn't been pleasant. Now, we've been talking about women, abuse, and submission, And the reason we're talking about this is because on October the 27th, 2022, a news story was posted, and this is the headline, exclusive, woman says John MacArthur's church taught her to stay with abusive husband. Now, we're not making this about John MacArthur. We're not making it about his teaching. We're not even making it about Grace Community Church. I'm not here to get into all of that. I'm taking the issues that are brought forth in the article, and then we're talking about them so that we can possibly look at this subject of women abuse and submission, maybe in a way that's not the normal way of talking about it, but we're dealing with some of those deeper issues. Like you can just say, we could just go straight into abuse and submission, but we're we, in a it really wasn't planned this way, but we found ourselves really kind of going back to, well, before someone is even married, before you even have to talk about women, abuse, submission, marriage, before we even get to that, we we went all the way back to, well, when someone maybe is starting to look 
for their spouse. Look for their future husband or look for their future wife. Because I believe in Christianity that we have so over-spiritualized that process that it creates a possible psychological prison for someone. Because within Christianity, everyone walks around and basically says, God has that perfect person for you. You find God's will for you. And when you find that person, make sure it's God's will. So the minute you say, this is God's will, God has spoken to me, God has shown me, this is the will for me. Well, once you get married, and then if you find yourself in abuse and, and all of these horrible things happening, well, you feel somewhat trapped because you've been telling everyone, well, that's the person God told me, and he had to know all of these horrible things was going to happen. Now, I'm not here in any way, shape, or form going against the biblical teaching on divorce. I am not. I am saying that we've so over-spiritualized that, that I think we create almost a prison where people feel like they can't say anything because they've told everyone, this is God's will. Here's how I think we should approach it. The Bible really gives us one clear guideline for marriage, and that is do not be unequally yoked. If that person professes to be a believer, you profess to be a believer, then you are, in a sense, marrying in the will of God because you are not violating Scripture. But outside of that, you've got to look for other things, not some inner feeling, oh, it's the will of God. You've got to look for compatibility, all those things that anyone else would look for in a, a, a spouse and a future spouse and your marriage partner. Uh, and, I, and I think we've over-spiritualized this, which creates some problems. I, I don't think it's some mystical thing. Okay, I felt that it was the will of God and I prayed about it. And this, this is who God told me to marry. Well, once you say that, well, that, that means the eternal all-knowing God told you to marry someone who turns around and abuses you. So, so you see where you can find yourself in a, in a dangerous position. And I don't think that's ever talked about. So I wanted to go all the way back to that. And we covered that in an episode. Then, because of a listener, brought up some things about traditional wedding vows. And I, once, once again, went in a very probably controversial way saying, I think we should throw out the traditional wedding vows. Because we're, I mean, because one of them is to obey, and I think we're making these vows and promises that we, that as sinners, we're not going to fulfill in any meaningful way, and that creates all kinds of problems. I really think we should just let our yes be yes and our no be no, and leave it at that. Because when we make a vow, God takes those vows seriously, and supposedly Christians, when they make wedding vows, they're making them to God. Now this raises all. This really, to me. What, what is so bizarre is people will make a wedding vow that says, till death do us part, not state any possible, you know, reasons why that is, that is not in effect. In other words, they don't say, hey, till death do us part, except they don't, they don't give the exceptions. So you stand before the pastor, before people, before God and say, I'm going to marry this person and I am never going to leave them because we are married till death do us part. Then when things go wrong in the marriage, you're like, but, but, okay, I made that vow. However, here's an exception. Here's an exception. Whoa, wait, you didn't give the exceptions in your vow. And the Bible seems to indicate when you make a vow, God takes that vow seriously. So I, I think, I think if you, if you believe that there are exceptions that you do not have to say, stay with someone until, until death, that there are, then you don't make a vow till death do us part uh, unless you say, 
I will stay with you as long as you remain faithful, as long as you uh, love me. Uh, you, uh, you can put the exceptions there. But if you don't put the exceptions, I think that creates problems. But for some reason, Christians just overlook that. But then we've got, you know, we've got story in the Bible where someone makes a vow that, hey, the first person who walks out, I'm going to offer them as a burnt offering. And the person who walks out is his daughter. Uh, and, and yes, there's a lot to that story, I understand. But the point is, it demonstrates that God takes the vow seriously, and we must take the vow seriously. So I think we should let our yes be yes and our no be no and get rid of that. Because once again, I think it creates a psychological, what am I supposed to do? I made a vow to God. And I think it creates some possible problems where abuse and these things can happen. Well, today, we're going to move forward. So we went from, in a sense, looking for the spouse. Now we've looked to the marriage ceremony where you're making vows. Now we're going to move to we're going to move past, in a sense, the dating stage. We're going to move past the wedding stage. Now we're going to move into married life. And we're going to deal with sex in marriage. Because the story that we read about this woman who attended MacArthur's church and her husband was one of the lay leaders, she was repeatedly raped and raped hours after giving birth to a child. And the church seemed to tell her she had needed to stay in this situation. Let's read a little bit from the news story once again. Krista believed it was God's will that she marry her husband. See, that's why we started talking about that. She believed it was his will for her to deny herself, to endure the pain each time her husband reportedly raped her mere hours after giving birth, to not intervene when her seven children cried out for mercy as her husband reportedly beat them. Every day when the kids are screaming in pain, I'm defying every natural thing as a mother to stand up for the doctrine that I was taught, she recalled. Now, she's claiming this is the doctrine she was taught. And again, whether she correctly understood it, whether the church wrongly taught it, whether the church taught a messed up doctrine, I'm not here to get into that. I'm saying that there are women who find themselves in marriage who are suffering abuse, and a lot has to do with, with a lot of these issues we've talked about submission, and a lot of it has to deal with something we're going to be talking about today. Krista, who has to remain anonymous to protect her and her children, says she learned this doctrine at John MacArthur's Grace Community Church. Photos and church documents show Krista's husband was a longtime Grace Community Church member and a lay leader. Police records obtained by the Rory's report detail the years-long abuse Krista and her children suffered, right? And that's, I mean, it's just, again, it's just horrible. Uh, they go on to say, abused women are usually so beat down, they're so frightened that they're not, they're not going to take pictures and do anything like that or save evidence somewhere because they're afraid of the suspect. Uh, Krista added uh, another reason she didn't take pictures of her battered and bruised children uh, because Grace Community Church had conditioned her to, keep, to not keep a record of wrong. Now, we'll get into that in, in, more, in more detail later. All right. Um, I want you to go on to see if I can find this very disturbing part. Okay. Um, they they go on here. Okay. Krista told police her husband uh, raped her countless times, including hours after she gave birth to her first child in 2003. 
Krista cried through the entire assault. The police report states adding that her husband assaulted her in a similar fashion every time she gave birth. According to the police report, Krista submitted to her husband's abuse due to her religion that she shall submit to her husband. She told uh, the Roy's report that had she known that it was okay for a wife to refuse her husband, she would have told him to stop. That is what we need to talk about. That is what we need to discuss. Sexual relationship within a Christian marriage. Why would a woman believe she could not tell him no? Why would a Christian woman believe that she could not tell him to stop? Now, I am not saying that Grace Community Church taught it this specific way. I'm not. Remember, I'm taking what happened, her thinking, and trying to see what has possibly happened in the church to lead many women into similar situations where they're being abused and they don't know what to do. And a part of this problem arises because of some teaching found in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to have to look at this in an open and honest way and try to make sure we know exactly what it is saying and make sure we understand what it isn't saying, all right? Because this is an important part of at least this story. She was raped repeatedly, multiple times, and she she thought she had to submit to it. This, this, this is disturbing and not an easy subject to talk about. And I want to make sure you understand, I don't want to be talking about this. I don't. And when I first saw this news story, there was a part of me that did not want to talk about it. But then I received some messages from women who either encountered abuse, right? And they they thanked me for at least bringing this up. But one person sent uh, me uh, uh, an email kind of just talking about their struggles and, and submission and some different things like this. And it made me realize we've got to talk about this in detail. We've, we've got to, I've got to talk about it in detail. There's women out there who've suffered horrible things in a Christian marriage and in many cases, the church was AWOL, or not only AWOL, in some cases, the church directly contributed to the abuse by teaching the woman, basically, you got to deal with it. You've got to suffer. There's nothing you can do. Now, I'm not saying every church teaches that, but there is plenty of women out there, and we've got to at least try to address it. And we got to be looking, look at our own failures and our own flaws in this. I am not pointing the fingers at anybody here. I'm just saying that within Christianity, look, here's the dangerous thing about the Bible. The Bible has so, it says so many things. And anyone can take any of its teaching at any given time and can take it to an extreme, misuse it, ignore it. I mean, the, in some ways, the Bible is a very dangerous thing. I mean, it's referenced as a sword, Right. And a sword, yes, it can be used to fight off an enemy, but you can also harm yourself greatly with it. And I think a lot of harm has been done as a result of the Bible. Now, I'm not blaming the Bible because the Bible is pure and it's the word of God, but it's our, our sinful hands take it and twist it and we can do great damage. And I think there's been some damage happening in marriages that has happened based off scripture where, where someone quotes a scripture. So what does the Bible say in regards to the sexual relationship within marriage? Well, I hope you're ready to look at this. Um, it's not going to be, well, maybe you've heard teaching on this. 
Um, maybe maybe we've taught it the cor- uh, incorrect way, but let's look at this. All right. First, if first, let's remind ourselves of a couple of things. Right. Background. Paul's writing to the church Corinth. The church Corinth is a church located in a city. That city is influencing the church far more than the church is influencing the city. And that city has some serious, serious problems. And one major issue is they have a, they have a temple there to a false god, and that temple has uh, temple prostitutes. And so you engage in that religion by engaging in sexual activity. So that makes sexual temptation very, probably very evident and present inside that city, meaning that people, even in the church, I know it's shocking, but even people in the church can be tempted sexually. I know, I know it's not ever supposed to happen, but you just remember the people inside the church are just as sexual beings as people outside the church. I know it's shocking, but it's true. People outside the church have sex and like sex, and people inside the church have sex and like sex. I know that's shocking to some, but it's a, it's really true. I think I think uh, I could prove this scientifically. All right. So guess what? If you got people in the church and you live in a city where sexual temptation is everywhere and it's rampant, that means there could be some serious problems of sexual sin inside the church of Corinth. And we found out early. We find out in the church uh, in First Corinthians that you have a man sleeping with his father's wife. There's sexual sin in the church. So Paul warns them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says things like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let's see here, where do we want to go? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 13, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body, all right? So telling us to avoid fornication, all right? Uh, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Uh, know ye not that, that he which is joined to an harlot is one body for, uh, for two, saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. So there's this warning. Flee fornication. Get away from it. Stay away from it. Don't engage in fornication. So, so that's the context of what we're getting ready to read. Now, if you've got people in the church and you're, and there's sexual immorality already in the church, you live in a city where there's sexual, sexual immorality available everywhere. Well, then people in the church are vulnerable to it. So what does Paul advise them to do? Well, first Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Now, that makes sense. If, if Christians are not supposed to be engaged in premarital sex, well, we are sexual beings, strong desire for sex. The only way to avoid fornication is then to get married. So therefore, you are not tempted. You, you're, you can't, you're not committing fornication anymore because now you're married and you can engage in sexual relations with your spouse. Now, this is a, this, this makes perfect sense. It's logical. If fornication is wrong, sex before marriage, then getting married takes away the, poss- the, the temptation for fornication because now you're married, you engage there. That makes sense. However, that teaching itself has led to some serious problems, I think, within the body of Christ that nobody wants to talk about. And it goes basically like this. Okay, you're 18, 
Well, you know what? You, you need to find someone. You need to get, you need to make it a short engagement and you need to get married so you can stay away from the sin of fornication. Well, sometimes I think very young people, young, maybe even too young, end up getting married, maybe before they should have gotten married. Maybe they weren't ready. Maybe they didn't even find the right person, but they got married to avoid sexual sin. And please don't tell me that never happens in the body of Christ. There's a long history of that. And they end up with serious marital problems. Why? Because they were getting married to avoid sexual sin. Now, you say, well, what's the answer? Well, I, I can't say the answer is engage in sexual sin because the Bible would forbid that. I can't go against the scriptures, but I think we've got to be careful to say, hey, 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 hurry up and get married. Hurry up and get married. Hurry up and get married. So because we don't want you to commit sexual sin. Well, then they get married and they got 50,000 marital problems because maybe they're in no way, shape or form ready. They're not ready mentally, emotionally. They're not ready. And the only reason they're getting married and the reason they think they're so ready is because they want to have sex. I know you're not supposed to be that blunt and direct, but we have to be. There isn't an easy answer there. I, I just think you, you, you can't just get married just because you don't want to get, you don't want to be, be you're guilty of sexual sin. There, there, I understand that that may, that may be the solution, but I think people have taken that and I think some really bad things have occurred. All right, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Again, that, that's just, it just makes sense. I don't think Paul is saying, hey, you better hurry up and get married. Hurry up. I think what he's saying is the, 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 the most practical solution. And what I think is fascinating here, what I think is fascinating because Christians usually teach, typically the teaching Christianity is, hey, when you become saved, now you have the power to stop sinning. You have the power to say yes to God. No, we still have a sinful nature. I think it's funny that Paul doesn't say, hey, 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 no, 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 no. Just stop fornication. Just, just stop it. You have the power to do so. Just stop sinning. No, he's like, get married. There's the solution. He doesn't give them some over-the-top, mystical, supernatural, spiritual solution. He gives them the most practical thing you can think of. You desire sex, you can't have it before you're married, get married, then the problem goes away, at least for fornication. I just find that interesting because everyone teaches teaches Christianity like, no, 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 now you have the power to say no to sin and say yes to God. Well, then why didn't he just say, guys, say no to fornication, say yes to God, and the problem's over. He doesn't do that. That's fascinating to me, all right? Now, but here is where everything gets iffy, all right? And this has created some serious problems. All right, so we've gone from trying to find the perfect spouse, supposedly God's will. We've talked about that. We've talked about the wedding vows. Now, you get married. Now, you get married. You're not, you don't have to worry about fornication anymore. Now, you're married. So, now you can engage in sexual relations and you're not committing a sin. okay. But now that you're married, what does that look like? How should this work? Well, Paul gives this advice. Here we go. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. 
Let me read it from a different translation. 1 Corinthians 7, 3. A husband, here we go, a husband should fulfill his marital, marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. Now, to be as blunt as I can be, what this is saying is that the husband is to take care of the wife sexually, and the wife is to take care of the husband sexually. Now, some people have taken this saying, the wife can never say no, and the man can never say no. And if and so, therefore, the wife, even if she doesn't want to, she has to submit to it because that's her duty, even if she doesn't want to, which if she doesn't want to, and it's kind of going against her will, you've now entered into the realm of sex occurring without true consent and without someone wanting to, and you're now entering into the world of spousal or marital rape. And that is the that story of Krista. She she didn't think she could say no because it's her marital duty. She has to render unto her husband what her husband husband wants. She in some people's mind that, that that. And again, I'm not saying that the church necessarily is guilty of saying those words, but it can give the impression. What what, what the one thing I've learned over the years of doing podcasting and preaching. So many times, someone will say something that I said in a sermon or in a podcast, and I'll be like, okay, wait, wait, wait. You thought I meant what? Wait, I, obviously I didn't. Wait, wait, there's no way you thought I meant that. But they'll be like really convinced I meant something. I'm like, oh my goodness, how did they come to that conclusion? I don't know what happened here in regards to Krista and what happened at, at Grace Community Church. I just know that there are women out there who think they can never say no. And this can be very dangerous. The text goes on to say, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband, hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now, this is where it, people, again, typically this doesn't go where the husband is like, you know, uh, I don't want to, I don't, but I have to. Typically, it, we know it typically doesn't work that. I'm not saying it never happens, but I'm saying typically it doesn't. Typically, it's the man who wants it, though, and he, he could he could argue, hey, you don't have power over your own body. You're, it's your duty. And you see how this could be then used, this scripture to be used to for a man to get what he wants, even when the woman doesn't want to, utilizing some kind of a scriptural concept that may, that may, that, that I think is not being handled correctly. All right. So let's go through this. What is the, the main point here is, especially in its context, is that even after you're married, right? See, before you're married, you're, 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 there's sexual temptation. It's known as fornication or premarital sex. You get married, that takes care of fornication. But after you're married, sexual temptation does not go away. It does not go away because you're still sexual beings. And guess what? In the city of Corinth, it definitely wasn't going away because temple prostitutes were out there saying, hey, you can worship God by having sex. Right? They're, they're, it's like 
they're in Vegas, all right? Sexual temptation is everywhere. Or forget Vegas. It's 2022. Sex, sexual temptation is on your computer. It's on your phone. It's on your iPad. It's on your television. It is everywhere. So Paul is saying that sexual temptation is going to continue. And how can you just marriage protects you from premarital sex and marriage can protect you from adultery by being fully satisfied in your marital union. If you are satisfied there, then you don't look elsewhere. That is at least the concept in theory. But here's the thing. That's the basic concept. But this language leads people to go, okay, I I can never say no. I, I think the issue here is that there needs to be very open communication And the goal is for both to ensure the other is being taken care of. I I think it has, I mean, I know primarily the focus is on physically, but emotionally and physically that both are so satisfied that they are protecting, they are protected from temptation. that's, That's the main emphasis here. But it's been taken to lead to some really bad things. Let me read from an article on what does the Bible say about spousal marital rape. Spousal or marital rape is a form of domestic violence and sexual abuse. And spousal rape, sex is forced on one spouse by the other. While the Bible does not specifically deal with spousal rape, it has plenty to say about the husband-wife relationship and its representation of Christ and the church. First of all, rape is typically not about sex. Sex, in fact, has little to do with it. In fact, sex becomes the weapon, the vehicle to accomplish accomplish the desired result, which is to overwhelm, overpower, embarrass, and humiliate another person. All non-consensual sex is rape, whether it takes place within a marriage or any other relationship. Most of the time, spousal rape occurs within a physical abusive relationship, In the U.S., marital rape is illegal in all 50 states. Some people believe that a wife must be agreeable to sexual relations with her husband at any time and that she has no say in the matter. They often misuse 1 Corinthians chapter 7 to support this erroneous view that a wife can never tell her husband uh, that she would like to defer having sex for a time. Some men believe that the husband has a God-given right to just take it in spite of the wife's objections. Of course, taking it without her consent is spousal rape, and God never condones rape. The truth is that sexual expression was designed by God to be an act of love within a marriage, and, and violence or coercion should never be a part of it. Forced sex is not love, it is the opposite. The Bible is clear. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Colossians 3.19. Unfortunately, marital rape victims are sometimes advised to put up with it. Too often, these women hear that they should be grateful that the rapist is a good father or a good provider or the like, and that that it is their duty to submit in the bedroom. However, such thinking can inadvertently promote rape and an unbiblical concept of sex. Sex should be more than a duty and submission. In the bedroom cannot be seen as the complement of compulsion. It is clear from the Bible 
that mutuality reigns in the bedroom. Now, we'll read a little bit more from this in a minute, all right? And there, there is a national network um, uh, dealing with rape and abuse and incest. And uh, I, I, I believe the number, I, I would have to verify the number. I'm not going to give that number now, but there are, put it this way, there are networks and people out there that can help you if you do find yourself in this kind of situation. Sadly, Many cases when women have experienced this and go to the church, they are kind of sometimes told, hey, you're supposed to submit. It's your responsibility. So we've got to look at this in a very, in a very, very honest and, and frank way. All right. So let's try to create a, a more biblical approach. One, it is absolutely true that one of the best ways to protect both the woman and the man from sexual temptation outside of marriage is the marital union. And both parties need to understand that and be aware of that, be conscious of that, and do everything they can to ensure that the other person is, in a sense, not only protected, but satisfied. Both need to be aware of that. Now, things can happen, right? Physical changes can happen where desire dramatically decreases because of whatever the reason, it, whatever the reason may be. That can occur. Not only that, physical changes can occur where either they're, they're just not able, they're, they're, there's lots, there can be lots of things that can happen in that. When that occurs, there needs to be great communication to try to ensure that, hey, I may not be able to provide this for you, but I love you and do everything you can to try to work together through that period of frustration and, and abstinence, right? I mean, because one part, if one person can't or no longer desires because of physical changes, well, then the other person is going to have to basically begin to live a life of abstinence and celibacy. And that can be very, that can be dramatically difficult in a marriage. That can lead to major, 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 major problems. And that has to just be acknowledged. I mean, that has to be acknowledged. That, that is difficult. But what you can't do is say, hey, I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care if you don't want to. You're going to do it because you can't say no. That can't occur. And some will just say, well, I'm not, I can't live without. And they'll end up either getting a divorce or, or who knows what will happen. It can be very detrimental. It can be very dangerous and detrimental, but it can't lead to rape. Here's a story of a woman who basically thought she couldn't say no. So how do we understand this text? Well, let's keep reading. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7. Here's the thing. Defraud ye not one the other. So you're not to defraud the other. Now, I think, again, this is not dealing with when you're physically unable or there's something going on. I think the key is you should want to, hopefully, want to and desire to. Hopefully, it's mutual. I mean, it has to be mutual. If it's not mutual, you can't do so because it would be it would be spousal and marital rape. Yeah, there's got to be consent. There's got to be desire. But hopefully, the desire is, I don't want to defraud you. You don't want to defraud me. And let's work together, all right? But the goal is, you do not defraud one another, except it be with consent for a time. 
So what's supposed to happen is, is okay, I can't physically ill, body has changed, desire is gone, whatever. I, I, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see what can be done about it, but please don't put pressure on me. There should be no pressure placed upon that person. There should be hopefully understanding and love and respect and compassion, but the compassion has to go for both. For the one who no longer wants to or desires to, but there also has to be compassion and understanding for the one who may, whose desire may still be just as strong as it was before they even got married. There's got to be compassion. There's got to be mutual understanding and communication. And some of these things are almost like seen as foreign to talk about within the Christian church. Like we can't talk about these things. They have to be discussed. Sometimes, look, I know that not every sermon is the right place to discuss these things. So you got to find the times where you can have the sermon where children are gone because it's right there in the text. It has to be talked about. And sometimes when these sermons are preached, I think it's more, I think this, what happens is the woman sits there going, oh no, oh no, I know this. No, I don't want this sermon. Okay, well, this is my duty. Right? And then she finds herself basically feeling pressure or compulsion to do what she doesn't want to do. And the man's like, about time, about time she understand. And that's, that's, and, 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 and maybe part of the reason is it comes across that way is because it's a man preaching. Right? I mean, and I'm not saying men shouldn't be pastors. I'm just saying sometimes the men have to realize we may be reading this from a male perspective and not understanding how the female may feel about it. I think many females hear these sermons and they feel like, oh, no, what am I going to do? And they feel guilt and shame because they may not have the same level of desire. And that, look, that's a, that creates problems. That, creates, that can create frustration and tension and problems in the marriage. I'm not saying that that always leads to a, abuse, but it can lead to a situation where whether knowingly or unknowingly, the man is, for, is, compu- is placing compulsion and pressure on a woman, and she's engaging in something she doesn't really want to engage in, which really, you're, you're getting to a really messed up situation there. But the thing is, there has to be some kind of consent. There has to be some kind of communication. I, I, I can't, and the, and, and the man has to be like, I can't, I don't want to, I don't desire to, I don't physically feel like, whatever the, whatever the case may be, and the man has to understand. But here's the part that no one ever seems to take into consideration. Defraud ye not one the other except it be with consent for a time. So in other words, there's an agreed upon time, all right? All right, we're going we're gonna to not be able to do this for a while until maybe you get, you get checked physically or you figure out why the desire is gone. Maybe there's some changes in the body, whatever the case may be, all right? But during that time, the two are to give themselves to fasting and prayer. And then come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency, all right? The, the idea is the, 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 you are to come together you are, to, you, are, you are to come together and prayer and fasting. Mutual, you're praying together and you're fasting together. All right? Uh, another translation says this. Um, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Due to, because of our, flat, we, look, we have a sexual desire. It's there. And now you can say, well, spiritually, I should just be able to overcome that. Look, I, I, once again, we have a sinful nature. Look, you have a 
biological desire and need for sex. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad about it. Uh, Christians sometimes act like we don't have any desire for sex, even though there's major sexual issues within the church continually. We all desire it. Then you add the sinful nature. Oh man, you, you got a time bomb waiting to go off, right? It's just the reality. Well, so what the what Paul's saying, okay, guys, look, if you can't come together, then you know what you can do together? You can pray and fast together. I don't think any, I don't think very, very few Christian couples take this seriously. And so what typically happens is the man saying, hey, you're, you don't have power over your body. It's mine. You can't say no to me. You have to submit. And in many cases, the church will tell the woman, yeah, that's right. And then she ends up basically being abused, not basically being abused or raped. And the woman almost viewed as, as the sinner for not being willing to say yes. That is, that is a twisted way that it all turns out. When it can't happen, the two should be praying together, fasting together until they can come back together. And then hopefully both are protected. Hopefully both are protected from temptation and hopefully both are protected then from pressure, compulsion, or, well, rape. Now, the thing with this passage is the next verse. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. Another translation, verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own, own gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. Some people try to say, that what Paul is saying in verse 6 is referencing to all the instructions he just gave about sex and marriage, that he wasn't giving a command, he was just kind of giving almost like his opinion. Others believe, no, 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 That's he's not referring to what came before, he's coming to what he's getting ready to say. I say this as a concession, not as a command, I wish that all people were as I am. In other words, I wish all people were single. That seems to be more what he's referring to there. There's much dispute there. But that I think that is more accurate. The point is marriage is supposed to be, the marital union is supposed to be protective of both so that neither are tempted to go elsewhere. However, there are two human beings involved and their desires will change and fluctuate for whatever reason, whatever, whatever the reasons are. It can be changes in the in the body it can be physical because of sickness or, or or an injury it could be a lot of reasons but it but if there's something there you have to understand uh oh uh oh oh if i if i this is the thing when it's when when the union is not occurring you're putting people at risk spiritually and you can say but in your christian mind you're like no 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 you can just say no to sin paul doesn't seem to indicate that he seems to indicate there's grave danger there's so much danger that what you do we can't be together tonight or tomorrow night then we will f- pray together each night and we will fast together like if we can't be in union sexually we'll be in union spiritually praying and fasting together. 
I'm telling you, that I don't even know why that scripture is there because it's almost always abandoned and thrown out. Back to the article. It is clear from the Bible that mutuality reigns in the bedroom. A husband sh- should provide sexual satisfaction to his wife and a wife should provide sexual satisfaction to her husband. A wife does not have authority over her own body and a husband does not have authority over his own body. They belong to each other. Does this mean that a husband can force himself on his wife anytime he so desires? No. What the passage teaches is that each spouse is willing, freely, lovingly to submit to the other. The passage is about giving satisfaction, not demanding it. The focus is on pleasing one spouse. There is no selfishness involved. Forcibly taking what has not been offered is wrong and plainly against the biblical commands on love and marriage. If someone has ever made sexual contact with you without your consent, please seek help. Sadly, sadly, the church sometimes is not the place to seek that help because of a twisting of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Women, abuse, and submission. We've looked at that whole weird idea about it's God's will I marry this person that sometimes is is taken to a level that can lead to almost a trap for someone who's now in an abusive relationship. The whole vows that we take that, well, we don't don't give any exceptions, so then what what do we do? Because we've made a vow to God. And I've, I've told you we need to reconsider that. And now we've looked about the sexual relationship within marriage, where in many cases, this leads to bitterness, hatred, frustration, despair, depression, guilt, shame, and sadly, even rape within Christian marriages. And I can almost guarantee you I'm going to get emails, most likely from women who have experienced this or have felt guilty and shame, or they've had serious, serious, serious issues in this area. I guarantee you that because this this is a sensitive subject, I, I don't know if, I'm not saying, and I, I can't, I would say that there are many, I can't say most, I will say many Christian marriages where there's some major issues in the area of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Major issues. And therefore, they lack the protection that both need. Therefore, Satan has a possibility, a a doorway, and uh, We've got, we've got to look at this in a better way. But guess what? Sometimes when, when you have married someone in situations because of sickness or health or whatever, you've got to be prepared then. And you have to be willing to deal with the fact that that may limit what your, your ability to have that kind of satisfaction. And we have to, you have to be willing to deal with that. But everyone has to be willing to work together. The physical union, if it's not there, the spiritual union can be. All right, I can just hear 
this, I can hear like people. I can hear, I can hear the wind swirling around, right? Remember I started this talking about how windy it, it is outside here in West Texas. Well, it's just got windy here. The wind is swirling around and it's going to create somewhat of a storm because a lot of people are going to have strong opinions. Please hear me out. Take a deep breath. Don't jump to any conclusions and say things that I haven't said. I've tried to be clear. If you are confused, ask for clarification. I hope I've tried to look at this from every perspective possible. It's a sensitive subject. Some marriages never have a problem. It works perfectly, never an issue. Other marriages, this becomes massively a problem and a place of great frustration and can be a a place that can lead to divorce. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I will do my best to answer any questions. If you just give me a question, you don't, I don't, I definitely obviously don't need details. Um, I will do my very best to answer that question, uh, probably in a podcast, but I will not give your name or nor will I re- I, I will not read the email. I will just take the basic concept, the basic question. I may read the question um, and try to answer it to the best of my ability. Um, I'm not, a, I mean, look, I, I think there's, there's lots of disagreements over 1 Corinthians 7. So I've tried to be as fair and as careful with the text as possible. But I don't think you can talk about abuse, women, abuse, and submission within Christianity and not deal with this subject. That news article, she, she, she thought she had to submit, and she was being raped hours after giving birth. Where did that idea come from? I'm not saying the church meant for her to think that way. I don't know. I know this. 1 Corinthians 7 has led to some serious problems. All right. I'll stop. I'm just going to stop right there. Hopefully, hopefully this helps someone. I, I, don't, I don't know what it's going to do. All I can, I've done what I can. I, I'm just going to have to wait and see what happens. All right, thanks for listening. I, I hope this helps you in some way, shape, or form. May God bless you.